So today, we're actually kicking off a brand new series, and it is one of my favorite series that we do all year. It's one of the most anticipated series that we do, and, and the next series, At the Movies, which begins in September, it just back-to-back, -back, these two series are just so incredibly powerful, and, and I love this series so much, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit of context behind the, the idea or the concept of the Ask Away series and it is, if you remember, if you were here on Easter weekend at either one of our gatherings, we gave you a, a survey card. And we allowed you the opportunity to fill out that survey card to give us some updated information. And there were a few questions on that card. And one of the questions that we asked all of you, uh, we had thousands of people between the two campuses on Easter weekend. We asked you, hey, what, what's a question you have about life, about faith? about the Bible, about money, about parenting, come on, about marriage, you name it, submit the question. And then we've taken all of those questions. So we had 1,200 plus cards collected and turned back in, and we kind of categorized all of those questions. And over the course of the month of August, we're going back to those cards, and we're going to just answer some questions. And why I love this series so much is because you all are driving the content, you all are the ones that are, are giving us kind of the, the idea of the direction to go. And, and today we're going to try to answer a few different questions. And, and I pray that, that God would just speak to your heart and encourage you. And, and each week we'll, we'll look at a few more sets of questions. And I think at the end of our series, you'll come on out of it on the back end with a lot more understanding and knowledge and even some resources that can help you, not only in your own personal faith journey, but then also as you go and share. Because how many of you know that's our responsibility too? As a Christian, it's not just come and see, but it's also go and share. I wish somebody give me an amen right there. And that's, that, that's part of, of, of why we do what we do around here is to go and share, and so we need those resources. So I'm going to jump into the series in just a moment, but let me preface it by saying this. Last Sunday was a monumental Sunday in the life of our church. We had Vision Sunday, and, and many of you, you were in town for Vision Sunday, and you were a part of some of those big announcements. Some of you were traveling. You were getting some last-minute summer vacation in, as, you know, at least in the South. Kids are getting ready to go back to school up in Maryland. They don't go back to school till after Labor Day. Come on now. Isn't that nice? You know, but we shared on Vision Sunday some big announcements. And just as a quick recap, and if you missed it, I tell you this every week, but I really want you to lean in here to my suggestion I want you to go back and listen or rewatch Vision Sunday if you missed it or if you're still having questions about the direction that we're moving. Two big announcements that we made, and one of them applies specifically to our South Metro Atlanta campus, which is here, beginning September the 8th. September the 8th, you got a few more weeks. We're launching three Sunday morning gatherings. You see the times here it's 8, 9 45, and then 11 30 a.m. And last Sunday, at the end of our gathering time, I gave all of you a card to fill out, and I just wanted to encourage you, 
that 306 people said, hey, I'm coming to that 8 a.m. gathering. Come on, isn't that great? I thought that was incredible. So every, everybody's got a choice to make on which new gathering time you're going to attend beginning September the 8th, the 8 o'clock gathering, the 945 or the 1130. Then, of course, at Germantown, our campus there, your gathering time stays the same right now for Sunday morning. And uh, this is just a, it's a, it's a great opportunity to continue to see new faces and new people come and be a part of the life of our church. And on that day, it's also important because we told you last Sunday that we're rebranding the ministry to Go Church and we're launching that on September the 8th. Come on, that's a great place just to pause and to say thank you, Jesus. Come on, both campuses, can we say amen to this? Really excited about this as well. So September the 8th is a big, big day. We launch a new series at the movie. We have the Go Church rebrand launch day. And then at our South Metro Atlanta campus, we're going to three gatherings. So much information. You can swing by Next Steps at either one of our campuses. They can walk you through some of the questions that you might have. And over the next couple of weeks, you'll also hear some things that we're upgrading and updating, including our opportunity for you to give. So we're changing our giving platforms. And over the next few weeks, we're going to give you some detailed instructions on how that'll work. So it's going to be so much easier and simpler to make that transition, and we're going to help walk you through that so that you can give freely and cheerfully to the Lord. And how many of you know you're sowing into a ministry that's good seed, it's good soil, and so we're just thankful for that. So we're going to walk you through all of those different upgrades so that we can make life easier. We're in the process of a new website and a new app, all of this so that you can not only get inspiration but so that you can also have information. Come on, one more time. Can we just thank the Lord for what he's doing? Because he's so good to us, isn't he? I love it. Okay, let's, let's jump in to week number one of our Ask Away series. And I want to I give you one disclaimer here as we walk through the next few weeks together. And I, I try... I try to do this every week, and, and if I don't do this on a given week, I, I don't want you to, I don't, I don't want to take it for granted, my heart behind the honor it is to, to pastor you all and to share through the preaching of the Word of God and the teaching of the Word of God, but specifically in this Ask Away series, I'm not standing up here suggesting that I know it all, and that's important for you to know. I never attempt to stand up here and act like I know it all. I am as much of a student of the word as you are. And I think that's important for you to know. We are learning and growing together. Somebody say together. So a lot of times when the Lord puts a message in my heart, he, he will give me great revelation about a particular topic. But that doesn't mean that I'm exempt from the need to study the scripture to make sure that I'm not giving to you just suggestions or mere motivation, but that I'm presenting to you in the best way that the Holy Spirit would allow the Word of God. Because at the end of the day, this book is the final authority. Okay, let, let's just all kind of agree on that, especially if we're Christians, that this book, if we've, got an, if we've got a question at the end of the day, the book is the answer. Can I get a better amen? So I don't want you to think I'm up here saying, hey, here is, here's what I... I know, and my way is right, and your way is wrong. I'm just going to share with you over the next few weeks some things that I've discovered in Scripture in preparation of a response to these particular questions. And then also, and I think this is important as well, that I'm sharing from a place of my personal convictions. And, and I'll say this later on in the message today, but 
the closer you get to Jesus, and the closer I get to Jesus, the greater our convictions become. Does that make sense? Nod at me if you're with me. So, so the further away from Jesus you are, the, the lesser amount of convictions you have. But the closer you get to Jesus, the greater those convictions become. So there was a time when I was first beginning my walk with Christ that there were some things that I participated in that the world offered that didn't convict me at the same level they convict me today because I've grown in the last 20 years and now that I'm closer to Jesus, and I, I still got a long way to go. As a matter of fact, both campuses, if you got a long way to go to get close to Jesus, just lift your hand. We are all a work in progress. And if you didn't lift your hand, you're lying. All right? So we're all this work in progress together. But that's the beautiful thing about growing in our faith is that when we get close to Jesus, he reveals greater convictions. Are you with me? Let me give you an example. When I was young in the Lord, I could hang around people that had foul language, and it didn't disturb me as much as it troubles me today, okay? Now, I, I love people in spite of themselves because I got my own issues. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got issues too. Come on, tell them. But, but there's something about vulgar vocabulary that convicts my heart, especially GD, are you, are you with me? So sometimes we can watch a movie, and if you're not disturbed by the language that used, that just means that we're a work in progress. So, so I'm going to share with you specifically from the Word, but then also just my, my personal convictions, and I think a few of these questions I'll share even a part of, of my testimony. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to show you all. I'm going to try to get three questions in today. If time runs out, don't be upset at me. Uh, whatever question I'm missing any week, we'll just carry that on to the next week. But I'm going to show you all three questions in the front half so that maybe ahead of time you can get encouraged or excited or your curiosity might be intrigued about the sequence of questions. So the first one that I'll try to tackle today is this. As a child, I was baptized in the Catholic Church, but am I allowed to be baptized again as an adult? This is a big question, so that's the first one. The second question that I'm going to try to answer today is this. I enjoy going out with my friends for drinks. Is that okay as a Christian? It's the second one. And then the third question I'm going to try to answer today is, our marriage is not in a good place. Do you have any advice on what we can do to strengthen it? So now you see all three questions. So, so maybe one of these or two of these or all three of these you're thinking, okay, Let's see what you got. But before we do that, and I don't always uh, pause for you to pray for me, but I need your prayers. So both campuses, come on, can you pray for me as I pray for you? Lord, not my words, but your words. Not my will or my way, but your will, your way. These are real questions from real people with real challenges. So we're asking you to speak. Let JC get out of the way. And let the Holy Spirit take over so that truth and wisdom and knowledge can be surfaced and we can leave here with a greater understanding of your love for us and a greater understanding of your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Let, let's start with the first one. As a child, I was baptized in the Catholic Church, 
But now I want to know, am I allowed to be baptized again as an adult? This is actually a great question because between our two campuses, of course, right here in Sharpsburg and then in Germantown, Maryland, we have a large percentage of individuals that have a background in the Catholic faith. And so they they either grew up in the Catholic faith or they were part of the Catholic faith. And and many of you know, if you come from that background, and and I would even suggest that it doesn't just have to strictly be Catholicism that does infant baptisms, but there's other religious faith groups that practice this idea of infant baptism as well. And especially in the Catholic Church, this is a big deal. I mean, people are coming in from all over the country even all over the world, to participate in this day of celebration as a newborn baby or infant is going to be baptized or christened in the church. And so there's a large percentage of people at both of our campuses that have this upbringing. And so this question might be a little bit more complex to those individuals than some of us that that this wasn't our, and I don't use this word in a negative way, but this wasn't our religious tradition. Are you with me? So it also allows me to answer kind of what we view and how we view the significance of water baptism as our profession of faith in Christ Jesus. There are a few differences, and there are big differences between uh, the Catholic Church and how they view and participate baptism and then the way that we do it as a church body here. So this is the first one. If you're taking notes, these these differences won't necessarily be on the screen, but I want you to write them down so everybody gets something to write with. The first difference, and this is a huge one, is, is that as a church, like this church that you're attending today, whatever campus, we do not believe that water baptism is what saves you. And that's important because, because in the Catholic faith and other religions, they place a high emphasis on salvation being directly connected to water baptism. And that's really important for you to know that we don't view it that way. We don't believe that water baptism is what saves you. We believe that what saves you is your faith in God and then the confession of your sins. That you believe in God and then you confess your sin. Okay, And sin is just a transgression against the Lord. So when we do something against what the Lord would desire for us to do, we've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And if you wonder who in the room is a sinner, it's all of us. We've all all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And so what we believe that in order to have the forgiveness of those sins, we have to first believe in God that God so loved the world that he sent us Jesus. It's who we sing about. It's who we preach about. Because it's only by the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross at Calvary that you and I can get the remission of sin, the forgiveness of sin. And then once we understand that Jesus is the only way, okay, it's the, Jesus is the only way, then we can confess our wrong, okay, So because the Bible says that when we confess our sin, he is both faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and then and then watch this and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness the water in the baptismal pool is not powerful enough to cleanse us from our sin it's only through Jesus y'all gonna help me preach today okay so the first one is this we don't believe that water baptism is what saves you we believe you got to confess your sin and believe in God if if that uh 
thought is not truthful or connecting enough, let me show you the Bible. Here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, two verses. Scripture says this, if you what? Come on, say it again. If you, if you what? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you what? Come on, both campuses, you what? You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. On the count of three, let's say this last line together, these four words, one, two, three. You will be saved. Okay, you see that? For with the heart, the Bible says, a person believes. And that belief results in righteousness, okay? Now, now watch this. And with the mouth, he does what? And it results in salvation. So we don't believe that water baptism is what saves you. We believe that you have to confess your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's when you're saved. Now, we, we do water baptism because it's an outward expression of your inward faith. So it's letting the whole world know that I'm in a committed relationship with Jesus. And you've heard this analogy before, and I'll zip through it really fast. It's the illustration of my wedding ring. This wedding ring is not what makes me married to Kimberly. Because when I take it off, ladies, you still can't touch this. So when I forget my ring, and it's only happened like once, okay, and I take the ring off, I'm still in a relationship with her. But when I wear it, it lets the world know that I'm taken, that I'm committed to, that I'm in a relationship with somebody. Come on, isn't that good? And that's what water baptism is. This wedding ring doesn't make me married, and water baptism doesn't make you saved. It just lets the world know, and more importantly, it lets the devil know, you can't touch this either. Come on now. Okay, I got to move. Another big difference is this, is that we do child dedication and not infant baptism. So as a part of this church, we don't baptize babies. And here's why. Because my, my conviction as I study scripture is that the Bible says to work out your own salvation. So we dedicate children to the Lord early on. Because that's important that, that parents, you, you are placing your priority as a household in Christ Jesus and you're saying hey I'm going to raise my child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord let's dedicate this child unto the Lord e even Jesus in Luke chapter 2 Jesus was dedicated by Simeon you know you know the story and so we dedicate babies but we don't baptize them as babies because that baptism doesn't make them saved are you with me so we dedicate them we offer them up and say Lord May they grow up in the ways of God. May they grow up in the word of God. But they have to, once they reach an age of accountability, and that's different for every person, okay? Once they reach that age of accountability and they say yes to Jesus, then they go public with their faith in water baptism. Uh, I, got, I got to move. There's so much more, but there's other questions. We believe, here's a difference. We believe and we practice immersion and not sprinkling. Now, this is, this is big, and I'm not talking down on, on the Catholic Church or any other religion that sprinkles individuals, but you won't find that method in the Bible. As a matter of fact, what you see in the Bible is how they practiced immersion. And that word immersion, if you're, if you're taking notes, means soaking. Soaking. It means drenching. It means wetting. 
It means dunking. And sometimes we got to dunk people a couple of times. I'm just kidding. It's a joke. As a matter of fact, the original Greek word for immersion was this word right here. Baptizo. And it's where we get our English word, baptism. Now, here's what's interesting about this Greek word, baptizo. It was used in culinary arts. Let me give you an example. If I, if I had a cucumber and I sprinkled vinegar on the cucumber, what would the cucumber become? A cucumber. Because I'm sprinkling vinegar on it. But if I take, I'm about to preach now. But if I take the same cucumber and I baptizo it in vinegar, I soak it in vinegar, I drench it in vinegar, I immerse it in vinegar, then what comes out? A pickle. Now, as spiritual as that sounded, I still hate pickles. Come on, some of y'all who love pickles, you need Jesus is what you need. But the process is the same. We practice immersion because I don't want to be sprinkled with water. I want to go into that watery grave, get soaked in the goodness of God. And when I come out, I want to come out a new person, a new creation. Come on, drenched in the love of Jesus Christ. Come on, both campuses say amen. Come on. So all of that to say this, and I'm going to move to the second question. If you were baptized as a child, that's not a problem. If you were christened as a child... That's not, a, that's not a problem. That, that might actually be a good thing, even if you were dedicated as a baby. But at the end of the day, whenever you have made a personal decision to put Jesus first, and it wasn't a decision that your mama made for you, and it wasn't a decision that your grandmama made for you, but you made that decision to let Jesus be the Lord of your life, then you have a next step responsibility to say, baptizo me in water and let me show the whole world just how good God is. Because if God can save me and if God can change me, there's hope for everybody. Come on and give Jesus thanks. Come on, that'll preach, won't it? Are you taking notes? Not at me if you are. We got a lot to cover. Okay, here's the second question I want to give you today out, out of the three. And then we're, we're jumping right in here because this is a... I, I get asked this question in a variety of forms and ways multiple times a week. And it's this question. I enjoy going out with my friends, and I like to have drinks. Is that okay as a Christian? Another way to word this question is, can I have a glass of wine at dinner? Another way to word this question is, can, can I, is it okay to be a social drinker or a casual drinker? And, and I'll tell you this, this question surfaced in those cards, that, that survey card at Easter, numbers of times. And so I thought, all right, we're just going to answer it. Are you with me? Now, let me say this. All of you will not agree with my stance or response on this question. And I'm okay with that because a lot of what I'm about to tell you, and, and it will be from Scripture here, but it also comes from great conviction. Because in my family and in our family tree, generations of worlies in my household have been wrecked by the disease of alcoholism. The disease of alcoholism has destroyed my family for generations. And at an early age, by the time I got to high school, the tentacles of alcoholism had wrapped 
herself around me and was dragging me into a place I never wanted to go. But by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, listen to me, I have been sober over 20 years. Yeah, come on. And that, that's a big deal for you to know because by the time I was in high school, I was sitting in AA classes trying to figure out how to get delivered. And I, I'm all about those programs and those steps. But at the end of the day, they should always lead us to Jesus because Jesus is the only way. Come on. And alcohol, and you could, you could almost fill in the blank here, drinks with any other kind of substance abuse, okay? But these vices will only do one thing. They will lie to you. So here's how I want to answer this question. I want to start with what we know. What we know. Because I, here's what I get all the time when people ask this question. Well, Jesus drank wine. And here's my response. Well, you ain't Jesus. Well, and I hear it. Well, Jesus drank. Well, you ain't Jesus. Okay? But... I want to start with what we know because people always say there's such a gray area. It's such a gray area. I mean, come on, can I, can I have a beer with my buddies watching a football game? Can I have a glass of wine at night? And, and when you read the Bible, I get it. You say it's such a gray area. So let's start with what we know. Is that good? What we know is this. And you can't debate it with me, okay, because we know it to be a fact. It's absolute. Drunkenness is a sin, you come at me from any different angle that you want, but at the end of the day, when you are blistering drunk, that is a sin. Come on, nod at me. Okay. Now, the, the Bible's clear about this. This is how we know it. There are multiple verses that tell us that drunkenness is a sin. Let me give you just one, and there, there's dozens, but let's go to the Apostle Paul. Here's what he says to back up what I believe to be true, that drunkenness is a sin. He says this. Now, the works of the flesh or the deeds of the flesh, they're evident. He says they're, they're evident. It's, it's the fruit of your flesh. That's why God says, and, and later on you'll see it in a couple verses after this, he says, I don't want you to have the fruits of the, the flesh. I want you to have the fruits of the Spirit. He said, the fruits of the flesh are evident. They are immorality, impurity, sensuality. He goes on, he says, it's idolatry, it's sorcery, it's, it's hatred and strife and jealousy. And Watch this. If you can't control your temper, that's a sin too. He says, when you're disputing and and you're always divided with dissensions. And watch this. He says, even when you got cliques and you're in factions and you exclude people because you think you're better than them. No, he says, that's a sin too. He says, watch this. Here it is. He says, envying, drunkenness, partying. And things like these. And then Paul says, he says, I forewarned you. He says, I'm going to warn you again right here that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me say it to you like this. You cannot love God and love the world. You can't do it. And the closer you get to Jesus, somebody hear my heart. The closer you get to Jesus, the less you want the things of this world. Okay, so what we know is that drunkenness is a sin. Now, here's the second thing that we know. And let me try to go back. Let me see if I can go back real quick. Because here's the second thing that we know. 
Uh, one more. Whoever submitted this said drinks. Did you catch it? Plural. As in one more. Two more. Three more. Because when we get together, hey. Drinks. Now, I don't want you to miss that. Because it, when I read it, it implies multiple alcoholic beverages. And you can research this on, on your own. But research shows that most people become impaired with one drink. That with one drink, alcohol depresses the nervous system. That with one drink, alcohol affects your judgment. That with one drink, you slow down your physical reaction time. Do you see that? So to have multiple drinks, and I've heard this before, well, I can handle my alcohol. Well, you need to handle the Bible. Are you with me? Okay, because I'm not trying, I'm not trying to, to be hard and difficult in this response. But when I saw this, I want to get together for some drinks. Okay, then you're implying multiple drinks, and that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Let me tell you how I've been sober for over 20 years. Two ways and two reasons. Number one, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying that because it sounds churchy or fancy. I, I mean that. When Jesus came into my life, he filled me with the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to the things that this world offers. I'm far from perfect. There are other areas that God is still improving me on. It wasn't just drinking that gripped me, but it was also my temper and how easily I would be angered. And God has done a miracle. My competitiveness over the years. It's, if you don't believe in miracles, you should just look right here at me. Because the Holy Spirit came on the inside of me, and what he did on the inside now is demonstrated on the outside. Are you with me? And many of you, as a matter of fact, can you just testify that you may not be who you want to be, but you're glad you're not who you used to be? Come on now. That God, when, when God, when God gets in something, when God gets in you, you can rebuke the enemy. The Bible says in James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will what? Flee. He'll flee. So, so the first way that I've been sober, because hear my heart, not just what I'm saying, but hear my heart. For me, there is no such thing as social drinking. Because if I start, I don't have the discipline to stop. I don't have the self-control to stop. So I've just learned to let the Holy Spirit keep me from the temptations of this world. Because you know this and so do I. If you give the devil one inch, he'll kick the door wide open and take a whole mile. He's just looking for some way in. So let me answer this question with a question. Now, I went back a few slides, so i got to hurry through these. Because I'm going to give you a question to your question. Why? Why do you need to drink when you go out with your friends? Have you ever thought about that? See, the, the world used to tell me that I could never enjoy life until I reached a state of euphoria, that I could drink away my problems. or I've, I've, and, and here, Here's some things that I hear. So why, why do you need to drink when you go out with your friends? And th these are the responses. Well, I'm stressed. So get together with my friends and a, a few drinks 
I feel more relaxed. I'm, I'm tired. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overworked. I'm underpaid. When I go out with my friends, what happens is I just, I just, I can leave all of those cares behind. Um, it just allows me to escape for a moment. And I want you to see something at both campuses, so participate with me here. Because those emotions are real. We all feel stress. As a matter of fact, anybody feel stressed today? Some of you are like, I'm stressed out right now. You're talking so much about this. <laughs> anybody ever been overworked? Come on, wave at me, both campuses. Anybody overworked, overwhelmed, and underpaid? Come on now. Anybody just sometimes you, you don't have to wave at me here. Please don't. Please. But anybody just dread going home? So you get off work and you don't want to go home because you know when you walk in, the kids are going to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. And so let, let me just swing by the liquor store. Let me swing by the bar with some of my friends. Let me have a couple drinks because I can, I can just eliminate some of that stress. And I want to say something to you because we all feel the realities of life. Life is tough. It's tough. Life is hard. But whenever we feel the need to turn to alcohol for help, what we're really saying, and I want, you, I want you to be challenged with this thought right here. What we're really saying is this, is that Jesus is not enough. That Jesus isn't enough. Jesus isn't enough to help me with my crazy boss. Jesus isn't enough to help me with my unruly children. Jesus isn't enough to help me with my chaotic marriage. Jesus isn't enough to help me control my finances. And so I'm going to turn to something that this world offers in order for it to help me, help me get over whatever the hump is in my life. And I, I've been in full-time ministry since 2001, okay? That, that, that's a long time. And I have never once in all of these years, eight, almost 19 years, 18 years of full-time ministry, sat in a counseling session or sat down in a conversation with someone, and them say to me, my life was a mess, but alcohol fixed it all. I never sat down with one married couple that was going through difficulty, and them say, you know what, we were on the brink of divorce, but Budweiser stepped in, and now we're doing better than ever. Never. I, I always hear the opposite of that. And what the world says, what the enemy says, hey, if you're stressed, don't turn to Jesus, turn to the bottle. If you're tired, don't turn to the church and Jesus, come on, turn, turn to this. And again, you can fill in the blank for whatever it is if you're overworked and you're stressed out and, and you lack peace. Come on, this drink, this cigarette, this website, come on now can help you with whatever it is. But I've come to tell somebody, and I hope you hear my heart, and I hope you hear the truth, it is only Jesus that gives us peace that passes understanding. I have been there, I have done that, I have bought the t-shirt, and at the end of the day, I have tried to drink away my problems, I've tried to smoke away my problems, and the only thing staring back at me is an empty bottle at the end of the day. But when I turn my hope to Jesus, come on, somebody. When I say to Jesus, you are enough. You, not only are you enough, but you are more than enough. 
You're more than enough. And let me tell you, when I got away from the things that this world offers and I turned to what God offers, I am still the life of the party. The difference is I can remember it now. Are you with me? Okay, I got to give you this because this is what I hear. Well, it's my life. It's my convictions. And I'm, I'm going to mess up somebody's theology and I'm just going to say what I feel. I'm going to feel what I say probably too. If you have a drink here or there, I don't think it'll keep you out of heaven. I, I think God's grace is too much for that. I'm not talking about living in drunkenness and, and that lifestyle. I'm saying if you have a glass of wine at night, Jesus still loves you. If you get drunk, Jesus still loves you. Because that's just how good he is. But I hear this all the time. It's my life. And I'll do whatever I want to do with it. And parents of teenagers, you probably hear that a lot right now. My mama, my mama didn't play with that kind of response. I came from the old school. Anybody grew up in the old school? In the old school, we didn't get time out. We got beat down. Come on now. My mama didn't count to three. She counted to the belt. How many of you remember the switch and picking the switch? <laughs> I used to get the smallest switch I could find. But so my mama grew her own switches in the backyard. It's my life. I'll do whatever I want. That's true. And the Apostle Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, doesn't he? He says this. He says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. He says, you say, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Are you with me? So I think for me, I'll answer it this way. You do you, boo. <laughs> Whatever your conviction is. That, I'm not here to judge. No one's here to judge. You, you do you. But you walk very carefully down that road. Because the enemy is seeking whom he may devour. And the greatest testimony and the greatest example that you can put on display for a lost and dying world is that greater is he on the inside of me than he that's in the world. Everybody goes through problems. Everybody goes through pain. But at the end of the day, we've got Jesus, and Jesus is our only hope. Come on and give Jesus thanks right there. Come on. So whoever submitted this question, or if you're wrestling through this today, the next time those friends invite you out for drinks... I want you to consider one thought. Why am I doing this? That's it. I just want you to ask, why am I doing this? And then ask yourself, is Jesus not more powerful than this shot of tequila? Is Jesus not more powerful than this glass of Chardonnay? Is Jesus not more powerful than this bottle of whatever? And if at the end of those questions, why am I doing this? And is Jesus not more powerful than if you come to the conclusion that Jesus is more powerful, then let that same spirit that raised up Jesus from the grave, that lives on the inside of you, just say no. Come on and give Jesus thanks. Come on, just encourage yourself and me too. Come on and give him thanks.
If you didn't like my response to that, you can send me an email at pastoralanmatura.org. It's my father-in-law. He'll filter all of those. Let me give you one more question and we'll be done for the day. One more question. Our, our marriage is not in a good place. Do you, do you have any advice on what we can do to strengthen this? Let me, give you, let me give you five thoughts real quick and then I'll pray for you today because it's such a big question and I want to focus in on this word right here, strengthen or strength because that really is what it takes to make a marriage work. You, you, need, you need strength. Here's the first one if you're taking notes and this is my advice. A strong marriage communicates often. So... This October, Kimberly and I will be married 15 years. Come on. Yeah. And uh, I'm taking her to the Bahamas. And none of y'all are invited. Not even my kids. No, they ain't going either. 15 years of being married. Now, over 15 years, Kimberly and I, we've really grown in our relationship with each other. And we've grown and our communication skills with each other too. And I've said this before, but when we first got married, there were two primary problems in our marriage under the area of communication. The first one was this, I didn't talk enough. I just expected that Kimberly could read my mind, that she could know what I was thinking even if I didn't have to say it. And that was a major problem, that I didn't talk enough. But the second problem that we had was she talked too much. Hey, I'm going to say this and then we'll move on. But a woman averages 13,000 more words per day than a man. Men, you can't run from that. You can try, but their words will find you. And so I I learned early on that I'm going to have to communicate. And write this down because this is what I learned. We, We will never grow past the issues in our marriage that we are unwilling to talk about. Those areas that are suffocating the strength out of your marriage, you'll never, that's the lid to the health of your relationship. Until you say, we've got to communicate about this hard conversation, about this hard topic. Let me give you a little uh, imagery here. You know that uh, one room in your house or that one drawer in your cabinets that you just shove everything into, you know? So when people come over, you just kind of throw everything in that one room. Or when you're cleaning up the kitchen, everything goes into the junk. Or you got one too? Okay. And what you do is let's just kind of, let's shove everything in here and let's not address it. Let's, let's hide, let's pretend it's not there. But at the end of the day, guess what? It's there. And you know it's there. And everybody else in the house knows that it's there. The same is true with the areas that you need to communicate. If you're unwilling to have the hard conversation and to, you have the fear of addressing that junk, junk drawer in your relationship, you'll never grow beyond that. So you've got to communicate even if it's tough, even if it doesn't feel right. Because that's when that relationship grows. So you want whoever submitted this question, or maybe you're, you're married, or perhaps you're engaged, or maybe you're single and praying, this is good for all of us. That in a relationship, you've got to learn to communicate, communicate, communicate. Here's the second advice. A strong marriage knows how to have fun. Kimberly and I, we have a blast together. 
And here's what I've learned. Life is busy. Life is hard. Here, here's another thought. Life's not fair. That there's always challenges. There, there's always difficulty. But if you want a you marriage that lasts and you want a marriage that's strong, sometimes you've got to learn to laugh your way through the pain. God doesn't want you just to endure your marriage. God wants you to enjoy your marriage. Are you with me? God wants you to have fun together. And if you go back, there was a time in your relationship where you actually had fun together. As a matter of fact, I don't know if Micah is close by, but if he is, I want you to come out to the keyboard because I just had this thought. You used to have fun together. Remember, remember when you were dating and you didn't want to be the first one to hang up? No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. <laughs> no, you hang up. Let me tell you what our relationship is now. I got to go. I'm out. Call me only if it's 911. My God. Hey, Micah. Kimberly and I, we used to have fun in our relationship. I used to make her mixed CDs and tapes. Because I wanted her to know that I loved her. Because we had fun together. I don't know if you know this song. It's not in the Redback Hymnal. <laughs> if you don't know what the Redback Hymnal is, so it's all right. But I used to sing stuff to her to have fun like, One, you're like a dream come true. Two, just want to be with you. Three, girl is plain to see. That you're the only one for JC. Four, repeat steps one through three, five. Make you fall in love with me. If ever I believe my work is done, then I'll start back at one. Fun, baby. Talking about fun. I'm still going to hang up when you call me, though. <laughs> I got to move. A strong, you can stay, Micah. You, you, you got to make this spiritual. We got in the flesh real quick. Because I got to close. A strong marriage offers grace. On the count of three, both campuses, everybody say the word grace. One, two, three. Grace. Come on, say it again. One, two, three. Grace. A lot of marriages don't have grace in them. You need to communicate. You need some fun. And you need grace. Let me give you this thought. Write this thought down. A marriage is made up of two imperfect people who live in an imperfect world and yet they're trying to love each other perfectly. This is a recipe for disaster because we are imperfect and we're trying to love each other perfectly. Let me, let me tell you, there are days that your wife will fail and mess up and miss the mark. There are days that your husband will not put the toilet seat in the place it should go or take out the trash. There, there are days that your wife will get a great deal. I saved you all kinds of money. It's a different sermon for a different day. And then there are days because your husband is such a cheapskate. You shouldn't spend, you shouldn't spend, you shouldn't spend. And then one day he shows up, I bought a boat. Got a boat and a truck to match, baby. 
where's the grace? Grace is what we need. A fourth thing, and I'll be done. A strong marriage is an intimate marriage. If you would have checked your children into Go Kids, I could talk about this a little bit more, but you get the idea. God designed intimacy between a husband and a wife so that you could share in that closeness together. Are you with me? If you want a strong marriage, you're intimate and you're passionate for one another. You love each other unconditionally. And then the fifth thing, and I've got a long list, but I'm going to close with these five here. A strong marriage keeps Jesus at the center. So if your marriage is not in a good place and you want some advice, it's this right here. Put Jesus at the center. And let me give you these three thoughts because here's three ways to keep Jesus at the center of your relationships. Again, if you're single and searching, if you're, if you're dating, if you're engaged, if you're married, these three things that keep Jesus at the center. Number one, you need to pray together. You need to pray together. Fellas, even if it feels uncomfortable and you feel like, I don't know, embarrassed or pride gets in the way, take your spouse by the hand and you pray in the name of Jesus Christ. She, she is not concerned about your elaborate vernacular and how you speak unto thy God in King James dialect. No. She just wants to know that her husband knows her needs, knows the needs of the children, knows the needs of the house, and puts God at the center of that relationship. So pray together. Read the Bible together. And then the third one is this. Attend church together. You do those three things, and let me add in the word consistently attend church together. You do those three things, and God will be in the center of your relationship. And I just pray today was an encouragement. I got one more question that I'm going to answer next week, and I'm going to put it out there as a teaser, and then we're going to transition. Here's the question I'm going to start off with next Sunday. Because when I read this one, it just got my heart like that. I can't catch a break. It just seems like there's always something bad happening to me. Why is life so hard? I'm going to start next Sunday with that question right there. Now, both of our campuses, the worship team is coming. Our campus pastors are coming. I don't want you to leave just yet because I always like to close with the challenging thought, and here it is. Of the three questions submitted, and then I tried my best to answer today, which one challenged you the most? Which one did you feel most convicted about the most? And then you got to ask yourself, and what next step do I need to take? So I'm turning this transition over to our Germantown campus pastor and the worship team is coming. Take a moment and consider this question right here in Jesus' name.